Don't know how to start after that. So could I just simply ask you to stand and let's read scripture. Starting with verse 5 from Titus chapter 1. This is why I left you in Crete, Paul speaking to Titus, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, a husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And let's always remember that the power resides in God's word. Thank you. You may be seated. Several years ago, when Amelia Baptist Church began a serious and prayerful look at moving toward biblical eldership, some of us, quote-unquote, traditional Baptists felt unsure to some degree because we ain't never done it that way before. Though I was convinced that this is what we should do, I did not know what the end result would be. I was passionate about it, on one hand, because it was biblical. But I was unsure as I did not know what it would look like. I didn't know how to get there or how it would turn out. And by the way, that nearly all the churches at the beginning of our denomination had elders. In fact, in the very first Baptist Faith and Message, which is our doctrinal statement of 1925, and we started in 1845, the phrase reads like this under polity and leadership, pastor, elders, and deacons. Previous generation from us that eliminated the biblical eldership model in their churches for a more contemporary, modern, corporate model. So, as far as our, uh, our experience was concerned, we had to start from scratch. And we had to learn and we had to understand the biblical purpose of eldership. Leaders in our denomination who forged the way back to both a biblical model of leadership and to the original Baptist model of leadership. I am grateful also for those who are part of this congregation who came from other denominations who maintained eldership as a part of their polity. These men were invaluable in our discussion, in our training, and ultimately in the church's decision to move forward. I am also grateful for those traditional deacons who were willing to explore the scriptures concerning eldership. And I am so grateful that this congregation prayerfully considered the decision. 
That was not in my notes. As you've already heard, we are in the nominating process for eldership that will be uh, elected. There will be an election in October. We want to hear from you. Uh, I noticed that um, our choir uh, did not receive any forms, so I encourage you, as you go out to the foyer, if you are in the choir, please pick up a form if you have not already. Also, for the first time, we um, attached the forms in our mass mail so that you could receive it at home and give you an opportunity to pray. Please read the qualifications and the explanation concerning the elder considerations. Presently, we have six elders who serve. Adam and I are paid pastoral staff and are not on a rotating basis. But we have four other elders who are on a four-year rotating term. Now, some may ask this question. With an even number of elders, what do you do in case of a tie when there's a decision? Now, that's a perfectly reasonable question to ask if you're in politics or in the secular corporate world. As most of us know, There are 50 states in the union. There are two senators for each state. There are 100 senators, and if it's a tie vote, they have to have a tiebreaker, and that is the vice president of the United States. We do not face that here at Amelia Baptist Church. During our prayerful discussions about anything that will affect the church, We all must be in agreement before it leaves the room. So even if one elder is uncomfortable about moving forward, we will not. With no pressure from others, we prayerfully wait on the Lord, and we will hear what the one has to say until we are all at peace with the decision. Now, it is in scriptures, like today's text, that helps us to understand what the purpose of elders is in a local congregation. Today's message is both theological and practical. So I'd like to ask you, if you were reared going to a church that had elders as a part of its leadership, would you wave at me? All right. So, though you're not the majority, you certainly don't have to hide in a corner. You, hopefully, had a great experience in those churches. Now, it's not because of having eldership or not eldership that you, as a congregant, uh, have good experiences. Because it's all about the people who are elected in leadership no matter what your polity is. Last week, Adam did a bang-up job in introducing the book of Titus to us. If you were not here and you want to understand what the, the big picture of Titus is, I encourage you to go to our website and find uh, his sermon and listen. He addressed the particular challenges that the churches in the, on the island of Crete faced. 
And that challenge was basically this. How does a body of believers, a local congregation, live in such a way to glorify Christ and maintain a godly witness in a very immoral and corrupt society? We will get to this verse uh, in a, another week or so, but verse, one, uh, verse 12 of chapter 1, Paul says this, One of the Cretans, a prophet of your own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now, this is a description of Cretans by a Cretan poet. Now, for you who are logical... I already know what you're thinking. This is not my notes, but we're going to address it next week. If he were a Cretan, and all Cretan are liars, then what he said was a lie. That's just to stir the pot. Come back next week as we talk about that. The Cretans were not held in high esteem for their moral standards. So Paul is concerned about the moral state of the churches that are in the different cities on the island of Crete. And so the question for Paul is this. How does one promote godliness in these congregations? You see, he did not want the churches to be filled with people who simply claim to be Christians. He wanted them to live genuine christ Filled lives. I want to ask you a question. If we get past the glitter of churches and presentations on Sunday morning, isn't that what you really want? Is a congregation full of genuine, loving, grace filled Christ followers? Wouldn't you love to be in a church where you don't have to make an excuse for the behavior of its members? And I would dare say that people outside these walls who don't go to church, many of whom don't go to church because that isn't true, and they saw the behavior of so-called Christians in churches, that they no longer go. I would dare say that people who don't know Christ and don't go to church are crying for authenticity in the church without a judgmental spirit. We are a covenant church. If you come to our new members class, discovery class, you will see what that means. And each new member must read, understand, and sign off on our covenant that calls us to be authentic in our walk with Christ. And how we treat each other. And what our mission is in the world. This is not about perfection. It's about having a heart for God each other, and the world. Now, we didn't get a chance to read verses 1 through 4. Um, that was last week. But basically, 1 through 4 is a greeting. 
by Paul to Titus. And then notice in verse 5, the very first thing that he does is he says, I want you to appoint elders. Now understand the purpose again of Titus. It's Paul equipping Titus to equip elders, to equip the church, to stand firm and to be authentically Christian in a hostile, non-Christian environment. Do you see four generations here? It's very much like what Paul told Timothy. Paul told Timothy to train faithful men who are able to teach others. And what we have here is Paul telling Titus to appoint elders who can train others to be authentically Christian. In other words, it has to do with discipleship. So what are elders for? Well, here at Amelia Baptist, elders are to watch over the flock, to be aware of the overall spiritual health of the congregation. We are here to promote and equip a life of following Christ. A Christ follower, by definition, is a disciple. And your elder counsel is to give direction and be examples to people in this very area of discipleship. By the way, I'm going to say this now and I'm going to repeat it because it's worth repeating. None of us elders feel that we can be an example that we should be. Do you understand that? Later on, I'm going to encourage you to do this. Don't place your faith in men on things that only God can do. So while there is a high standard for eldership, we understand we're human. We're also here to promote and teach and defend sound biblical doctrine. Paul is concerned that the Christ followers on Creek will grow in grace, be discipled, mature in the faith, resist the value system and the philosophy of the world around them because Paul knows and Titus knows and most of us know that as soon as the immorality and the philosophy of the world begins to encroach within the church that that deteriorates the power of God and the cross in converting people because we stand as hypocrites to what we preach. You see, many people had come to faith because of Paul's preaching and Titus's preaching. Now, Paul is telling Titus, go back and disciple the converts. Help make them strong. Equip them to stand against the insidious society. And what is his first initiative in protecting the reputation of Christ in the church? Appoint elders. Paul sees elders as necessary for the spiritual health of the church. Do you remember one of the last things that Jesus said? We call it the Great Commission, and it's part of our purpose statement. To go make disciples, 
baptize them, teach them all things that I have commanded you. Do you remember that? That is the Great Commission. And the way that is done best in a local congregation is through eldership who already walk the walk and don't simply talk the talk. Now, listen, I know that there are different temperaments. There are some of us who are convinced that we can walk in our Christian walk alone. And there may be some exceptions to the rule, but the biblical model is that the congregation helps all of us in our walk with Christ. As iron sharpens iron, so men sharpen men. We are called not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And it doesn't mean that we're just supposed to show up on Sunday in our Sunday smile and our Sunday uh, clothes. It means to be engaged in the lives of one another. But living with people and talking to people and having conversations with people can be painful. And so there are many who take the easy way out and just don't have those conversations. I understand that. But have you ever thought that it's painful because we need someone to knock the rough edges off the way that we think about things? Notice that the word elders is plural. In nearly every reference in the New Testament, it's plural. The idea that a pastor can, by himself, change the direction of a church or win a community to Christ is not only unbiblical, it will destroy the pastor, his family, and possibly the church because it's too much pressure. And it is not a biblical mandate for a congregation to place on one man all that responsibility. Plurality of leadership is essential for any church. Shared responsibility is absolutely necessary. One of the reasons that there should be more than one elder is for the benefit of the elder. Even the most godly man in a church needs other godly men to help him stay godly. If Titus wants to promote godliness within the congregations, he needs more than one godly person at a church to do it. So the first responsibility of eldership is discipleship. The second responsibility is to be an example. Now, we usually call the verses of 6 through 8 qualifications of eldership, and they are. But they're more than simply qualifications. If these men live this way, then they are a real-life, real-time Visual examples of how the whole congregation is to be and to do. Believe me when I say none of us believe for a moment that we are perfect examples 
of Christ or a leader, but we are called to be. These Christians in Crete are tempted to be like the world around them. Why? Is it just simply because they're out there? No. All these Cretans who had come to Christ were once like that. Many of us in here were reared within the confines of a church or under the umbrella of grace and preaching and morals and things the way they should be and the things the way they shouldn't be. But new converts who come from a place that never heard of Christ, they are trying to shed off the old and to become more new. And that's what grace does. But discipleship helps them through that. Not only should elders be above reproach, we should all be above reproach. And when you pray and you write down a man's name as a nominee to become a candidate, please don't think of him as a perfectly godly man. Or else no one would qualify to be nominated and much less qualified to serve. But do you see the traits and the heart and the direction and consistent life of this man? That's what God is looking for. So you may want to ask questions like this. Does this man demonstrate over a long period of time fidelity and loyalty to one woman with whom he has made his vows? Another question, do his children by their faith and behavior demonstrate that this man practices what he preaches at home? Now, let me be clear about this. Many of us here have adult children. And there are many of us with adult children who grieve over the waywardness of our children. As a child gets out from under our roof and are exposed to different philosophies and thoughts and practices, they have to come to terms with what they are going to believe and upon what truths or false statements and ideas they're going to stand. The purpose of including the fidelity and faithfulness of a man to his wife and the faithfulness and behavior of their children in qualifying a man to be an elder by and large tells us something about the man's home life. We know that values are caught more than taught. And this is true at home. They are to be fostering godliness within the home. If we can't do that, how can we be expected to foster godliness in a broader context of a congregation? Now, this obviously assumes that the children are still under their roof. They are still under the man's authority. And these children are faithful. 
and they are obedient, and they're responsive to the leadership of the Father. I've said it many times. What we are at home is what we are. It isn't what we see at church. Home is the proving ground of a Christ follower. We cannot preach godliness and not expect to see it in our leaders at home. People in the church need to see that what we say is true by the lives that we live. Now, in verses 7 and 8, there's a list of five vices and six virtues. And uh, we're not going to go over all of them. We're just going to kind of pull them all together so that we have this understanding of who this, this elder is supposed to be. Above reproach. What does that mean? It means that he's not open to justified attacks or criticism in his life as a Christ follower. Notice I said justified. That is, that he is, by and large, consistent with what he says. Does it mean that he'll never make mistakes? No, he will. But does it mean that he will admit them, confess them, and change, and seek other people's apology, uh, uh, forgiveness? And the answer is that he certainly should. This man is not gripped by anger or pride. He's not gripped with the desire to drink. He's not gripped with the desire to dominate other people or to be wealthy for the sake of being wealthy. He shows hospitality. He is virtuous. He loves the good. He aims to do what is good and right. This sound mind means he's sane, discreet, sensible. He's fair in his dealings with other people. He's just, and none of us want to say that we are holy or godly or pious. But we are to be moving in that direction. We're to be devout and self-controlled. So, what can you do about that? Please pray for your elders. I never get tired of people coming to me and saying, I pray for you and your family. We would never want to dishonor Christ or his church. You know, it's a humbling thing for us as church leaders to read this passage of Scripture. But it's even more so to read it in public. So pray for us. Now, with all these standards and qualifications... I want to remind you what the purpose of elders is. The purpose is to be examples of being disciples. In other words, there is not a double standard among God's people. 
You see, Paul wants to see the whole congregation looking like Christ. That's the end. That's what we're looking for. Eldership is a biblical strategy that best can serve that ends. Someone has to take the risk of being thought of as an example. (laughs) I had a hard time writing this sentence. Because you don't know what the risk feels like until other people think that you're supposed to be this type of person. James tells us not to seek to be this kind of person, for we will receive the greater condemnation. It is a risk. But it's a calling. It's a calling. So what's the last thing that in these scriptures that an elder is for? We're to convey the truth and we're supposed to confront error. Verse 9 says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradiction, uh, contradict it. Did you see what it says? It says to be trustworthy, the trustworthy word, As taught. Let's get something clear. The Bible is a living document only in the sense that it is impregnated with the power of the Holy Spirit as we read it. But it doesn't mean we're to change it to fit our culture. Elders are here for doctrine. We're to convey the truth. And though none of us want to do it, we are to confront those who contradict it. That is more painful than you will ever know. This will make others uncomfortable. Others may not see the unintended consequence of unsound teaching, but the elders are to be able to see the unintended consequence of those things. And we are to trust God's Word. We are to be zealous for the truth. We're not just to give a nod toward the truth. We're to embrace it. We're to wrap our arms around it. And we are to be able to articulate biblical truth in such a way that the congregation and small groups can understand it, receive it, and it be implemented in their lives. Alexander Strach, in his book, Biblical Eldership, has summarized a, a larger, more comprehensive summary. So let me just... Repeat these. Elders lead the church, teach and preach the word, protect the church from false teachers, exhort and admonish the saints in sound doctrine, visit the sick and pray, and judge doctrinal issues. In biblical terminology, elders, shepherds, overseers lead and care for the local church. 
So we're to make disciples. We're to be examples. We're supposed to have sound doctrine. But this is where I'm going to come back to what I originally said. Don't look to men to do what only God can do in your life. We are mere men, fallible, lacking, but Christ will never disappoint you. He will never fail you. Keep your eyes on him. And if you are not a Christ follower at this time, please understand what we understand about ourselves. We are simply sinners who have been given grace that ultimately transforms us, not into perfect beings, but in a direction that I believe that most of us want to go, but we can't do it without God's grace. And we believe that this grace has the power to transform you. Look to Christ, what he did on the cross. Don't look for perfection here among us. And see the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. There you will find what you've been looking for. Would you pray with me? Father, These are hard words to say, hard words to hear, but mostly they are hard words to do. But you've called us as a church to be Christ followers and genuine at that. So, Father, we place our hands, our lives in your hands, that you would mold us and that you would make us, that you would fill us, that you would use us, that you would guide us and lead us. Give us the grace to give our lives to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please?